Today, we are in week three of a series entitled Broken People, Big God. Uh, we've been talking about how Jesus is the only holy person God ever used in the Bible. Right? If, you, if you read the Bible, no matter what you saw on VeggieTales or on a flannel graph in Sunday school, like even these superheroes of the faith, these giants of the faith, on some level, they're broken sinners. And yet, they have a big God who uses them in mighty, even eternal ways. And that's good news for us because we are broken. No matter how nice we look today, we got on our Sunday best, it's Father's Day, we're going to lunch after this. No matter how nice we look on the outside, on some level, on the inside, we are broken. And yet God is good and God is big and he can use us just like he used the broken people in scripture. Right, so if you're new with us, the first week we talked about Timothy in the New Testament. Last week we talked about Ruth in the Old Testament. Go watch those on YouTube and catch up. But today we're talking about John. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus. And I'd love for you to grab a Bible and look at it with me. First John chapter three is where we're gonna be. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back uh, in front of you. Uh, you can go to the very end of your Bible and just turn back a little bit and you'll see the book of First John. First John chapter three, always want you to not just hear my words, but see God's words. So get a Bible in front of you, even if it's on your phone, that will work as well. And then grab your bulletin that we gave you when you walked in. We've added some stuff to this. I'd love for you to, to take your bulletin now and look at it. You can see the outline in there, so you'll track with me that way. You'll also see a memory verse that you can read and memorize during your week from our passage today. You'll also see a couple discussion questions uh, that you can go over over lunch with your father, with your spouse, with your, with your kids, with your neighbor, whoever you would like to do that with. So, so grab both of those things and then we'll jump in here. I'd like to start this way. Um, one of my family's favorite traditions in the summer is to go to the beach. Uh, one of our favorite things about living in Arizona is not the desert, it's the beach six hours away, Amen. And so every single summer, we make at least, even if it's just one day trip, we make at least one trip to the beach. And despite the fact that we do this every year, there's something we have to relearn every year about the beach. And it's how strong the current is in the ocean. And particularly with kids, we have to learn this. I have to relearn it with them. And so oftentimes we'll, we'll get to the beach and here's what we do. We set up a tent. Right? And we set up a tent and we set up all of our other gear and, and toys and, and digging in the sand and all those kinds of things. And we set all that stuff up and then we show our kids like, hey, look at the, our tent. Look at all the distinguishable traits of our station, this fixed point. And as you go out in the water and even as, as I, an adult, go out in the water with you, we're gonna get taken in by the current a little bit. It's gonna hit us and it's gonna cause us to drift, but I want you to always look back for our tent. That's the fixed point. And inevitably it never fails, right? My kids are out in the water. I'm out in the water with them. <laughs> supposed to be the adult supervision. And I'm like, wait, where'd our tent go? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's way over there. How do we drift so far? Like it was kind of subtle. We didn't even really realize it. And so we'll have to start swimming back and, and coming back to that fixed point of our tent, of our station. And the reality is life is a lot like that, right? Like all of us, I don't care if you're a believer or not, you start out with some fixed point, some tent of beliefs, of values, of purpose, of love. And then what happens? The current of life hits. And it's just kind of subtle. It's just that, that one disappointment 
that one difficulty, that one loss, that, that one level of shame over that sin, that brokenness that's in you, and you start to subtly drift away from that original fixed point. And you don't even realize till you wake up one Sunday morning and maybe a pastor like me is yelling at you or you read scripture or something happens in life and you're like, oh wait, my fixed point, it's way over there. How did I get way over here? And so what I wanna do today is recognize like, hey, all of us have that. If you haven't, all of us will have that. Some of you are there right now where you have drifted from from love, from belief in Jesus Christ and his love for you and his love for other people. And you've experienced some loss in life, some hurt in life, some disappointment in life. That current keeps hitting you and subtly, you don't even realize it, but you have grown cold and cynical and bitter and resentful. See, the reality is none of us, when we drift, we don't drift towards love. We drift towards a hardened heart. We drift towards even a little bit of hate in our heart. And so I want to ask the question, what do we do when we drift? How do we come back to that fixed point? And the apostle, the beloved apostle John, is going to help us with this. Now, many of us, I think when we hear the, the beloved disciple of Jesus, maybe even just by that, you know, like John was close with Jesus, and he was. John was one of Jesus's closest followers. In fact, he had a front row seat to all these amazing, profound teachings in Jesus's life. He had a front row seat to all these profound miracles in Jesus's life. He saw the greatest act of sacrificial love the history of the world has ever known, the cross. But he also saw Jesus beat death in the resurrection. He saw the inception of the church and the sending of the Holy Spirit. John saw all of this. And I think many of us, we know that, like about John. He was the beloved disciple. How amazing. And yet, if you really dig into John's life, when you start to realize John also experienced incredible loss, trauma, hurt, disappointment. When you think about, he saw his great leader and Lord Killed. He saw the, the sword pierce his side. He saw him cry out in agony. And then even after Jesus left, he saw one by one his friends, his followers die. We think John was the last remaining disciple and apostle. We saw him watch his, his brother, James, get beheaded. He was one of the first martyrs. We saw, John saw the destruction of the temple in AD 70. He saw the house of God, that was the temple, collapse. John experienced loss and love. He experienced trauma and hurt and disappointment. There was times he drifted. He was a broken person, just like me and you. And yet he keeps coming back to this fixed point. He writes the book of 1 John and 46 times he uses the word love. And at this point in his life, he's an old grandpa and he's not cynical with all his his loss. He's not hardened hearted. He still has a soft heart. He still is the beloved disciple of Jesus. And I wanna ask the question and you should wanna ask the question, how is that possible? And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at 1 John chapter three. I'm gonna read a portion of it for us. And we're gonna learn how, how does John have love in the midst of, of loss? And so let's look at it together. 1 John chapter three, we'll start in verse 11 and go to verse 18. It says this. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was one who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." Here's our first point. If you take notes or follow along in your bulletin, it's this. It's when you drift from love, quickly assess the root and the destination. When you drift from love, quickly assess the root and the destination. Verse 12, if you look at that verse with me, John points out one of the first major drifts in all of the Bible. It's the life of Cain. And you got to understand why, why John would use the, the life of Cain as an example of the first major drift in Scripture. It's because in that day, they would have known, and maybe some of you know this as well, that Cain was the first example of murder in the whole Bible. That if you go back to Genesis 4 and read the story, you have Adam and Eve, and they have uh, lots of kids, but they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Like most brothers, they fight. Unlike most brothers, one kills the other one, Okay. And this is Genesis 4 in our Bibles, okay, people? It didn't take long to see the worst in humanity. And yet, why does John point this out? And I think he does it because he, he, he teases out how evil works in the human heart. He teases out where this type of evil, evil murder actually come from. He, he talks about the root being, verse 11, from the evil one. He says, this evil in Cain it was his own evil deeds. Right before this in verse 10, pretty extremely, John splits the world up into two different camps, two different streams. He says there's children of God and there's children of the devil. And he continues here and he, he plays out these examples of children of the devil, they're like Cain. Children of the God, he's gonna say, are like, are like Christ. And he gives us these two camps, not three. Like, see, we, we like gray matter. We like, well, I don't hate anybody. I haven't killed anybody. And, and, and God is saying, and, and John is saying right here, hey, if you're not in Christ and his camp, then you are in that camp of hate and murder. And he's teasing out these two examples uh, to show us where the root of, of hate, of drifting out of love really comes from. And he says, it's his own evil deeds. He didn't go through and talk about what Abel did. He talked about where Cain comes from. He's of the evil one and it's his own evil deeds. And as I read that, I just thought, well, that's just so interesting because that's so antithetical to our culture and to you and me. See, when I, when I hate somebody, it almost always starts with, well, they did this or they said that or they didn't say this or do you remember what they did a long time ago? When I hate somebody, it always starts with the things going on around me, not go things going on within me. I, I see this oftentimes in, in marriage counseling. When I talk with married couples, 
who are in conflict. And I always just start out, hey, hey, tell me what's going on. Tell me about the conflict. And, and they'll talk and one spouse will talk and, and they'll talk about all the things that he did or all the things that she doesn't do, right? And I'll patiently listen. And then eventually I'll respond and say, hey, okay, I appreciate you sharing all that with me. I just want you to think about, okay, let's say, let's say you said a lot of things. So let's say she's 90% of the conflict. Is there a possibility that you're bringing 10% to this conflict? Like, is there a possibility that there's some things you have contributed to this conflict? And, and what might those things be? And let me just tell you, you should see their face. They've never thought of that in their whole life, right? I mean, they've never thought about, oh, what have I done? What is in me? And the reality is oftentimes, there may be some other things that the other person have done, but the root of the conflict is something that's going on inside of you or something that was going on inside of you when you were in the fourth grade or a long time ago. And it has nothing to do with he doesn't pick up after himself or she doesn't respect you enough. It has everything to do with something deep down in here. But as I talk to couples, as I talk to people, we never consider that. And yet John says, hey, Cain, he, he murdered somebody else, but he doesn't give what Abel did at all. He gives like, hey, it was, he's of the evil one. There's something deep-seated evil in him. It was his own evil deeds. See, here's the reality. When we drift from love, when we're getting in, impacted by that current of, of loss, of disappointment, of conflict, we gotta ask, quickly ask, hey, what's the root of that? What's going on in my own heart? And, and here's why. You, you can just focus on the other person. Maybe it is your spouse. All the things they don't do or you wish they did better. You can just focus on that person at work. You can just focus on your dad who wasn't there for you in the right way that he should have been as a father. You can just focus on that. But here's the reality. You can't change other people. So if you're hoping that that resentment in your heart, that bitterness in your heart, that cynicism in your heart goes away one day because it's awful to live like that, if you're, if you're drifting and you wanna come back to that fixed point that you originally had of, of love and optimism and assuming the best, if you want a life like that, it's not gonna happen because you focus on somebody else because you are not the Holy Spirit, amen? No matter how hard you try, you can't change your spouse. You can't change your parents. You can't change your friends. You can't change our world, but you can change you. And so if you just focus on the other person, that's a miserable life where the, the things that are deeply seated, evil in you, just like in Cain, they never get healed and you never come back to that fixed starting point of love. The second problem with this is even if you manage miraculously to fix everybody else around you, let's say you get the right counselor, you get the right steps, you get them in the right church or you get her in the right church and like I fix them. Let's say like miraculously, they all get fixed and the whole world get, gets fixed. You know what the problem is? You still got you. And everywhere you go, there you are. And so no matter what happens with other people, you still got some depression. You still got some bitterness. You still just look in the mirror and, and it wells up inside of you 
some hate and it has nothing to do with other people. So when you, when you drift, and some of you are there right now, if you're honest today in church, young or old, Father's Day or like this is a great day for you or it's not a great day. There's some level of just cynicism where there used to be optimism. Anybody? Maybe it was the last presidential election. Maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was a conflict. Maybe it was something that happened in the church and some hurt you experienced. And now when you come into church, you're not like assuming the best about people. And like, hey, it's my opportunity to love God, love people. We get to sing songs about Jesus, how he saved us by his grace. We get to, we get to give financially. We get to be a part of what God's doing in the world. Like little old me, we get to give and be a part of God rescuing people out of death into his life. And you don't come into church like that. You used to, but you drifted. You drifted into the song selection and Hillsong or, or hymns, and you drifted into like, well, how come he's doing that? And how come I'm not doing that? You drifted into just, man, these probably, like that guy probably looked, he looked, he looked at me, he didn't smile at me. He probably, and he, you drifted. And John's calling you. Hey, you gotta come back to the fixed starting point of love. And you gotta assess the root of why you have drifted. And he also says, you got to address the the destination. You see that root has fruit. That stream has a fountainhead. He says, it's the devil. He says, it's inside you. That fountain, that stream, it leads to a destination. And John lays out for us very clearly where that leads us. It leads us, verse 14, look at that verse, to death. Verse 15, to murder. You see what what John is doing, what he's going to do oftentimes? He's passing along words from Jesus. He's quoting Matthew 5. John's the beloved disciple really close with Jesus. He heard Jesus say this. Hey, you think murder's a big deal? Here's what I say to you. If you even have hate in your heart towards a brother or a sister, man, you are liable to judgment. See, John's gonna lay out, this is the root of your bitterness. It's not out there, it's in here. And if you don't assess it, if you don't assess the drift, you are not gonna drift back into love you're gonna drift into hate. You're gonna hurt other people. And you may not murder somebody. Some of you are thinking, well, Tim, generally people annoy me, but I'm not a murderer. I mean, generally, I mumble cuss words when I'm on Facebook, but I'm not a murderer. And I would say to you, you may not actually kill somebody. There may not be physical death as a result of the hate building up in your heart, but there will be emotional death and there will be a relational death if you do not quickly assess the root and the destination of your drift. And so we have to do that. We have to deal with it. We have to ask. Some of you should ask today, am I drifting? Is my heart growing cold towards people? Is there some cynicism, some resentment? And where is that coming from? And where is it taking me? That's our first point. Here's our second point. Uh, If you start to see this, what do you do? The second point is when you drift from love, know that the love of Jesus never drifts from you. Hallelujah, amen. I don't even need to preach this point. All right, amen, let's go home. 
When you drift from love, know that the love of Jesus never drifts from you. If you look at the story of John, the beloved disciple, there's a drift in his story too. Did you know John had a nickname before it was beloved? It was the son of thunder. It's like a wrestling name. And you see kind of a vivid example, just one of them in Luke chapter nine of John as the son of, of thunder. You see in Luke chapter nine, Jesus goes into a town and all we get in Luke nine is that in that town, he was not welcomed. We don't see that people were stoning Jesus. Maybe that happened, but we don't see it. What we see is Jesus goes into a town and he was not welcomed. You know how John, the son of thunder responded to that? He says, say, Jesus, I got an idea. Why don't we rain down hellfire upon these people? The son of thunder, right? You think John drifted at times from the love of Jesus, the beloved disciple? Yeah, John drifted. He drifted. He, he wanted evil for people. He wanted to, to, to back, uh, to, to get revenge on people. Like that was in John too, not just love. And so what does John do? What do we do? Well, verse 11, look back at that verse. He tells us, you gotta come back to that fixed point. Verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That phrase, you've heard from the beginning, you've heard from the beginning. If you read the book of 1 John, it's mentioned 10 times that John's gonna continuously bring us back to Jesus. John's gonna riff off Jesus. John's gonna steal words from Jesus. If you, like the whole book of 1 John, you can go back and look at the gospel of John and see Jesus saying these very things. And I love that about John. He's always gonna say, hey, we're gonna drift, but here's our fixed starting point. It's Jesus Christ. His love never changes. His love never moves. It's that tent on the beach. When you're getting hit by loss and difficulty and disappointment and trauma in your life and you look up, you wanna find Jesus that which was from the beginning, the one who defined love, the one who demonstrated love. That's how John, who was once a son of thunder, ends up being known as the beloved disciple, even as an old grandpa who could be cynical about life and all the loss he experienced. But he's not, because he always goes back to the beginning. He always goes back to love. 46 times he uses this word love. 10 times, beginning, it's all wrapped up. This is the defined starting point that John goes back to. And I love that Jesus, or John rather, steals from Jesus all the time. If you look at verse 14, I'll show you one example. He says, here's how we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. He's saying, here's how you know you're a Christian. What does that sound like? John 13, where Jesus says, here's how you know you're a Christian. Here's how you know you're my disciples. If you love one another. John 4, he says, we love because Jesus first loved us. We see that in John 13, 34. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. First John, John talks about that which was from the beginning. The very first part of John 13, Jesus says, I have loved my own till the end. You see between John and Jesus, this idea that, that Jesus is the epitome of love, where Cain, took life, Jesus laid down his life. And as we drift, we come back to him. He's the one thing in your life that never will change. He will never let you down. And we have a cynical culture and you have a cynical heart 
and a resentful heart because you're looking at every other thing except for your fixed starting point. And Jesus and John's crying out to say, hey, come back to this. You, you know what? I think John, he's known as the beloved disciple. And sometimes we're like, so, so you call yourself that, John? How arrogant. The beloved, I, hey, I just want to let you know, um, it's nice to meet you. I'm the beloved. <laughs> and sometimes we think, well, that's kind of arrogant. I think it was actually very uh, awe-centric that John just couldn't get over that Jesus Christ, the son of God, loved him that he was the one who was like, you know what we should do, Jesus? Let's rain fire down on these people. And that Jesus still loved him. And John couldn't get over that. So much so that he says, I don't want to be known for my name. Like my identity is being loved by my savior. That's how he's an old grandpa who saw every one of his friends and followers die one by one. Just imagine that. And yet he still writes a book about love in his old age. He comes back to the beginning. He comes back to the fixed point, and it's the love of Jesus. Here's our last point. When you drift from love, don't simply return to love. Return to that love of Jesus. You see, here's the, the danger of a message like this, especially on Father's Day, is love has so many meanings in our culture. Right? For some of you, maybe even for you men, you're like, hey, come back to love. When you drift away and your heart is hardened, uh, come back to this soft, mushy, romantic, feely love. Because that's what you think about when you think about love. Some of us, when we, we think about love, it's this over, overused, loose term to describe how much you love fajitas. Like, I, I love ice cream. And it's so watered down, like it has no power or meaning for us. And so John does what John does. He goes back to the beginning. He goes back to Jesus. And instead of Cain, we get this example of Christ. Verse 16, here's what love looks like. It's not taking somebody else's life. It's laying your own life down. It's a sacrificial act for the good of another. We're not talking about being nicer today. We're talking about a, a cross-shaped love. We're talking about that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. We're talking about Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. How? Like just be nicer, just be kinder. No, love your wives like Christ loved the church in that he gave himself up for her. This is what it means to love. And so we have to come back, not to a cultural definition of love. We have to come back to the Christ definition of love. That's why we get this extreme example. And I think many of us, and some of us as men, here's what we struggle with. We're like, okay, love, like, like die, I'll do that. Like if my kids were in an alley with me, you know, we're leaving Target, you know, real dangerous life that we lead and we're in the alley at Target, and I got my bags, and, and I'm coming around the corner, and if I saw a mugger, yes, Tim, I would lay my life down for my kids, and I would fight that guy to the death. Or we think like, like uh, Bruno Mars, like I'd step in front of a train for you. I'd catch a grenade for you. And we, we think these, some of y'all get that later. Uh, Spotify, Bruno Mars, check it out later. But we think of these extreme examples. We're like, okay, Tim, so, so love isn't this mushy thing. It's not this I love pizza thing. It's this sacrificial act where you give your life for another. Like, Tim, I am up to the task and you will wait 
for that extreme moment down the road. And until then, you'll sit in your lazy boy recliner and ask other people to do things for you. And what I would say is, John's gonna combat that. Not just in men, but in women as well. He's gonna combat that and say, no, no, no. Here's what sacrificial love can look like. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John says, hey, it's as simple as this. Sacrificial love, you know how you come back to it? The love of Jesus, you know how you extend that love? Is you just look at a world around you. You look at your family around you. You look at your neighbors around you. You look at your church family members around you and you see the ways they don't have basic needs and you step up to fill those needs. And listen, some of them are physical and it's easy to see, it's tangible. At our worship night on Wednesday night, and I celebrated at the beginning of the night that, that we had some people doing different things and we were all coming from different places that day. And, and some of those were great places and some of us had hard days. And I, I shared, I just talked to my friend, Melanie, right before the worship night. And I just said, hey, Melanie, how are you doing? And she said, I'm doing great, Pastor. And I said, oh yeah, tell me about that. And she had her two little kids with her. And she said, well, I, you know, I took the bus to get here. And then I missed my second bus. And so me and my two little kids, we walked three quarters of a mile to get to this worship night. And she said that with a smile on her face. And she was ecstatic to be there. And you you just saw, there's, there's a tangible need, right? She needs a ride. And let me just tell you, it was amazing. I'm proud of you, church. Six people came to me after that worship night and said, hey, does Melanie have a ride home? And you know what I was able to tell them? Yeah, she's covered because somebody already beat you to it. And it's, there was no mugger. <laughs> there was no train to step in front of. But it was just simple like, hey, there's a physical need and I'm gonna meet it. I have a car. We can make space for those car seats and I'm gonna meet that, that need. And listen, don't wait for the extravagant. That is extravagant. You know how much that meant to Melanie? Do you know how much it means that we have a ministry in our church and partnering with our church that a lot of people are involved in our church called Bridge to Hope? That's how Melanie found out about our church. It's mom's coming out of addiction. And so you're like, I didn't know that, Tim. Yeah, because it's just off in the background. It's just seemingly minuscule sacrificial love that's making an eternal impact. That some of those moms, more than just Melanie, you've seen up on this stage recently dedicating their children. They're coming out of addiction, dedicating their children to God. Last week, we baptized Jesse. They had to hold her baby. She was crying so she could get baptized and declare that she's gone from death to life in Jesus. Amen. We can celebrate that. And it's just little sacrificial acts of love they bring them to church and then they invite their friends and they help them in small. Like, it's, it's not just stepping in front of a train. Don't wait till that one day. Start now. You wanna come back from your drift? You're feeling cynical? It's not that you just start receiving Jesus's love. You start extending Jesus's love and you get more of it, amen? That's how it happens. And you see those physical needs. You see those emotional needs that people are going through things in this room on Father's Day that you wouldn't believe. They they woke up this morning dreading this day, being reminded of their father who wasn't there, who was just a jerk, 
And some of you men and women, you just go to another person and say, hey, I just wanna let you know I'm here for you. If you need anything, let me know. Some of our spiritual fathers, there's some men in our church, some single men, and I'm looking at some of your faces who serve in kids ministry and you make the world of difference to our kids. Just basic needs, like serving in kids ministry. I had one of our, 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 he's actually a dad, tell me this week, his name's Nathan. He just said, hey, I'm gonna serve in kids ministry twice a month. And I said, well, Nathan, you only need to serve once a month. He said, I know. I'm gonna serve twice a month and I'm gonna serve in your son's class because I recently shared with him that my son is looking for more boys in his class and and men to be teachers and kind of wants to play sports and have at it that way. And he just said, hey, I'm gonna step in and fill that gap. Do you know what happened when I told my son that that was gonna happen? He said, yes. (laughs) It's just a little need, serving in kids ministry twice a month. That's the sacrificial love of Jesus, amen? There, there's a guy, I have a few more examples, hold on. <laughs> there's a guy in our church, he's a friend of mine named Jay. I didn't even know this till this morning, that Jay goes to one of our partners, not with official church sanctioned event, on his own he does it. He goes to one of our partners, Hope Women's Center, and he finds out the needs that they have, and he just fixes stuff around their office. And I've been to their office, they need some stuff fixed. They need some new computers. They need some stuff fixed, right? And he just does that. It's just a little sacrificial love. And yet Hope Women's Center is saving women and children's lives all over the place, right? We have another guy in our church. These are some amazing men in our church. They don't make the news, people, but they're here. They exist, all right? Another guy in our church named Ken, who at least twice a week that I know of, he takes other people through scripture. He just meets with them. Just because he wants to, he asked me, Tim, is it okay? Do you mind if I take other people in our church through the word of God? And I said, I guess, Ken, I don't know. Like, I'll, I guess, I mean, you, you owe me one though, right? I'm like, come on. I mean, just, this is what sacrificial love looks like. And do you know how we can, you know how we can resist the drift of cynicism? of assuming the worst, of resentment, the hate that exists in your heart, you start doing that. You start serving in some way. You start extending love to someone else and God will change your life and he'll bring you back to his fixed point of love. Why? Because Jesus is love. And how do we love? How do we know what love is? How do we experience love? Because we first embrace and extend the love of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. So find a way that you can do that this week. Do that for your, for your dad. Do that for somebody else in this room. And, and do it in the smallest of ways. But see the biggest God use you for eternal impact. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you for moving in this place. Thank you for the people in this place who have been empowered by your love who are extending that all across this room and all across our city on Sundays, but on Wednesdays and on Mondays. God, I I thank you for even the people in this room right now who would just say, man, I'm not doing that. And I'm growing a little cold. And when I walk into a room like this, man, there's just some cynicism built into my heart. We sing songs. I I don't sing them with with joy about a God who first loved me, even in the midst of my brokenness. God, I, I sing songs with a little bit of bitterness in my heart. 
God, I just pray for them right now. Whether that's our dads in the room who've just been beat up by the currents of life and disappointment, whether that's our women in the room, our children in the room, whoever it is, God, I just, I pray for them right now by the power of your spirit that you would replace their bitterness with your joy, that you would replace their resentment with your love, that you would let them know that you're the fixed point in this equation. And despite the fact that they have drifted, you have never drifted and you love them right now where they are, not a future version of them. God, that would, as we say, that would move them that love would move us, that we'd start extending your love. And as we extend your love, God, we'd embrace it and we would declare it in songs. God, help us to do that. We can't do that on our own, but you can. We pray that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen.